We've got a new troublemaker on the Rebel team. He's based in Calgary. And tonight we're discussing some of the things that we're both passionate about, like gun rights, government transparency, how awful the NDP are, and pipelines. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Gun Show. Alberta's election is not even a year away. It's May 2019. Things are going to get a little wild in this province between then and now as the NDP get more and more desperate to hang on to power. The NDP, they're going to hide their pasts and hide their lack of action and lack of advocacy on issues that are important to real, normal, everyday Albertans. And just last fall, Calgary's Mayor Nenshi was given another term despite a little bit of a last-minute conservative insurgency. Nenshi feels like he's got a mandate to continue with his ongoing policy of governing from behind closed doors and wasting taxpayer money on vanity projects like an Olympics and public art that looks like garbage. There is so much going on in our city to the south that we had to call in reinforcements. We've hired a new advocacy journalist, and some of you may have seen his work already. His name is Kian Bexty, and part of his job is fighting for issues that you care about. So joining me tonight to discuss some of the things that are on the top of his mind and that matter to him is my scrappy new co-worker, Kian Bexty. So joining me now from Vulcan, Alberta, is new Rebel contributor, Kian Bexty. Hey, Kian, thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me. So I think I think it's important to have you on my show because you and I are going to be working very closely going forward. And I think we care a lot about the same issues. I think we're passionate about, you know, government accountability and personal responsibility um, and holding politicians to account. Um, and I thought it was important to have you on so that our viewers could get to know you a little bit better and um, you and I could just sort of chit chat about the things that are important to both of us. And you hit the ground running when you came to work for us here at The Rebel. Um, you started off your very first video, your very first story was a campaign against lowering the speed limit in Calgary. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and give us an update because some of the circumstances around your story are changing pretty fast. Yeah, for sure. So we uh, started this campaign about a week and a half ago where we, uh, after we found out that city council was interested or looking into reducing the speed limit in the residential streets of Calgary, um, Drew Farrell, the councillor who's spearheading this, has a history of, of wanting to reduce speed limits in the city, no matter where they are. Um, that's just what she does. Uh, originally, it started back in, in her single ward in the Sunnyside area where she wanted to reduce the local speed limit uh, to make the, the entire city more pedestrian friendly. And it even went as far as to wanting to block off Memorial Drive, one of the largest arteries in the entire city, uh, just block it off entirely for 
uh, part of the day so that there could be a farmer's market type uh, pedestrian gathering. She's just the most anti-car person you can find in the city. And she just happens to be sitting. Oh, sorry. She just happens to be sitting on city council. So um, after that failed, the reduc- her part of her pedestrian strategy a couple of years ago, um, now that there's a new council, she thought she could have some more support for this. Uh, she brought it back. And uh, and this time it passed. So it, the speed limits aren't being reduced right now, um, but by margin of uh, I believe it was eight to six, they've agreed to start looking into the idea. So they've directed the city administration to start costing it out and working with their uh, share uh, stakeholders so that um, by the time uh, September comes around next year, they'll be able to. Uh, they'll be able to reduce the speed limits from 50 kilometers an hour to 30 kilometers an hour uh, on every single residential street in the city. Is it me or does this feel like nothing more than a cash grab? Well, it it very well could be. I mean, they they say it's under the guise of wanting to protect uh, pedestrians, but if if that was the case, they would they would opt for a more sensible approach like raised crosswalks or uh, or uh, less wide roadways but instead they've decided to just slow the city down uh, or at least the speed limit down whether or not this is actually going to slow drivers down is another question um, but they the city collected over 20 million dollars in in revenue from photo radar taxes um, last like this was 2016 numbers I think so when the speed limit's reduced from 50 to 30, like just imagine how much money they're going to make. And, and you can bet that they're going to be spending this on bike lanes. They're going to be spending it on whatever they can that is just going to keep hurting cars and keep hurting suburban Calgary. Well, and that's the thing. Like we see it all the time in Edmonton, but I would say that Calgary is even more sprawling. It's a commuter city. This idea that cities that were built and suburbs that were built for people to live outside of the city and commute. Like, that's why suburbs are built, so that you can get in your car, drive to the city, and drive back out. People don't necessarily want to live in the city, and yet there's this perpetual war on cars that someone who lives in in Airdrie or, you know, one of the surrounding bedroom communities, that they should be riding their bike. It just doesn't work, especially in Western Canada. with the exception of probably Vancouver, we're just not built to operate that way. It's a strange mentality. It is very strange. I just want to quote something from the from the resolution that they passed yesterday. It says, be it further resolved that all communities currently being planned have local road network designs that do not prioritize speed and flow of traffic over safety of non-motor vehicle users. Communities under design shall recognize the need for safe pedestrian infrastructure. They they just have this warped idea that they need to pit drivers against cars, uh, uh, drivers against pedestrians, like like this this false dichotomy that only one can benefit if if the other one is is hurt in the process. And it's it's really frustrating because they they just don't seem to give any any thought to. Um, infrastructure changes be it speed bumps or raised crosswalks they just they just want to make pedestrians feel unsafe uh so that so that they can uh keep up their war on cars 
I guess that sort of brings me to my next uh, question to you about what's happening down at Calgary City Hall. Um, It seems like there are a bunch of cloistered uh, bureaucrats and frankly, a little bit like totalitarians down there. They sort of don't think that the public um, has any right to know what's going on at Calgary City Hall. Uh, We just received news that um, Mayor Nenshi has paid out $83,000 to lawyers representing city councillors to basically block the public from finding out what sort of misconduct, if any, is happening down at Calgary City Hall. Yeah, well, I'm glad you clarified that was the thing that they were trying to hide from the public because there's a lot right now from the Olympic bid uh, from the leaked council documents from the in-camera session uh, to this. Like, it's just Nenshi and and his band of buddies are trying desperately to hide everything they can from the public. Whatever it is, whatever they're doing, the public cannot know about it. And it seems to be something that's really special to Calgary. There's no other city in, in Canada that really comes close to, A, how much time we spend in camera, and B, how much time our councillors spend getting sued or suing other people um or or just spending money on lawyers in the for whatever reason uh whether it be to hide FOIP requests or uh, uh redact FOIP requests or or because they've done other uns, undesirable things so eighty three thousand dollars is a lot of money um it's really disappointing i think that it took so much effort on behalf of you know gotta give the credit where credit is due, the CBC, um, how how much work it took them to actually get this amount of money disclosed to the public. It's, it's just sad, really, all around. Yeah, I mean, when you really think about it in real life terms, Nenshi paid lawyers tax dollars to prevent taxpayers from finding out what's going down at City Hall when taxpayers pay their salary. I mean, it is the, it's so sneaky and clandestine and it's you know the opposite of the transparency that he promised Calgarians and you mentioned something um, that I wanted to touch on Um, our friends from Safe Calgary were talking about this this week they talked about the amount of times that Nenshi has appeared or that Nenshi and City Council have met in camera now that's a like a fancy downtown city council jargon for meeting in private. So there's no uh, public participation. You can't go down and see these um, council meetings the way you normally could sit in on any sort of legislative session. The city of Calgary in two years between 2014 and 2016. So again, under Mayor Nenshi, they've met, as they say, in camera 700 times. And according to Save Calgary, 25% of all council meetings are secret. And, you know, when you compare that to other cities across the country, Toronto has only met 18 times in camera in that same amount of time. It's shocking. It is. And it's, it's, it's undemocratic Uh, from fundamentally, there's a problem where when we go to an election, we are not able to judge our elected officials based off of what they've done because it's so in secret. Um, Going back to the $83,000 spent on legal fees, we still don't know which counselors 
uh, were behind that because it, it was redacted by the city administration. When they go in council, we have no idea what views uh, are these councillors are taking on on uh, matters that aren't allowed to be disclosed to the public. And when when someone does disclose it to the public, uh, then then she goes after them like they've just broken broken the law, like they're criminals. When all they really did was share with their constituents what their government is doing. This isn't Nenshi's government. It's the people's government. The, it's Calgarian's government. But Nenshi just seems to think that it belongs to him. And if it doesn't go his way, uh, he's just going to go into the council chambers and, and make it so behind closed doors. Well, in this attitude of secrecy and this idea that um, city council is entitled to information and they're entitled to withhold that information has sort of spilled over into the Olympic bid. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you there, there was there was a couple questions being asked of of the Olympic bidding CEO. I can't her name's slipping my mind right now, um, but I, I went and sat in on that council session because I was interested in the 30 kilometer an hour speed limit reduction, which was supposed to be happening that same day, but it was pushed back a couple weeks because it took so long to talk about the Olympic bid. But uh, after time and time again, the council stood up and asked the Bidco CEO questions, and she just kind of gave non-answers. And uh, a lot of the a lot of the councillors were completely fine with that. They were shooting her puffballs. And then it came to Jeremy Farkas, who was really interested in how much money was going to be spent, uh, city dollars was going to be spent on uh, Bidco advertising the bid to the public during the plebiscite. And uh, the councillor was. Jeremy Farkas sort of put the Bidco CEO in a corner and, and eventually it came out, but it was just, he had to fight tooth and nail that the city was going to be spending money on Bidco to be manipulating the public to be voting yes. She said, and, and this is just a rough quote, but she said that uh, they will be trying to inform Calgarians how impressive this bid will be and how, why they should be voting yes, not not a two sides of the coin kind of thing. It was just why they should be supporting the bid. Millions of dollars are going to be spent on that. So going forward, it's something that I'm really going to be interested in, in following and, and sharing with our viewers because I I just think it's just the most dastardly thing to be spending this much money. Well, we, we have yet to find out exactly how much money it will be, but to be spending any money trying to manipulate the public in the midst of a democratic vote, uh, I think it's I think it's deplorable. Well, and I think it is uh, something that while, you know, currently taxpayers are footing the bill for Bidco, this company that it, it exists, uh, at least according to its mandate, to to decide or to present, you know, evidence whether or not Calgary should even pursue the bid. That's why it exists, but it looks like it's already promoting the yes side and City of Calgary is already spending money on that. But the bid itself lowball of 5.2 billion dollars and that number keeps going up it's gone up a billion dollars since last spring and apparently it's supposed to be a cost sharing initiative um the feds are going to kick in some money rachel notley's supposed to kick in the money no level of government can actually afford that in this economy but i think it's something that the entire country needs to care about because yeah. Every single Canadian taxpayer is going to be footing the bill for what I would suggest is a vanity project for and legacy project for Mayor Nenshi and to some extent yeah. Rachel Notley. 
I, I mean, absolutely. I think Rachel Notley specifically knows that um, she's going to be, she's probably going to be gone by the time, but it, it will be her legacy. I, I want to go back to what you said, though, about the feds, the province, and the city pitching in the money. Um, it seems like every level of government is trying to say, oh, but look at how much this other level of government is pitching in. At the end of the day, Calgary taxpayers pay money to the city of Calgary, the province of Alberta, and the federal government of Canada. The, they, they say it's the other government pitching the money, but at the end of the day, it's the exact same people time and time again. Whether or not you're in southern Alberta, northern Alberta, Quebec, uh, or in Calgary, the, 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 the amount is, is variable. But at the end of the day, every taxpayer is going to be on the hook for uh, the, these games, which have a track record of overspending, uh, of losing revenue, and being uh, just a corrupt organization that we just don't need to have a, uh, take any part in. Now, um, we sort of wandered into Rachel Notley criticism country, which is one of my favorite places to be. I like <laughs> um, again, you know, credit where it's due, but the CBC got access to uh, our energy minister, Marg McQuaig-Boyd, and her chief of staff. The CBC filed a freedom of information request to get access to their emails during the time of April 8th and May 28th. So that was, you know... Uh, basically deadline time for Trans Mountain. And I guess the first thing I'll say is I'm always glad when Marg McQuaig Boyd is in the news because I'm always happy to hear that woman is still alive because, because we actually never hear anything from her and she should be one of the most prominent people in Rachel Notley's cabinet considering. Yep. Um, so, you know, good that we have proof of life. Um, but during that time when they should have been furiously working on doing whatever they could to save Trans Mountain, their main focus was on Jason Kenney and how the allegedly nonpartisan bureaucrats in the energy ministry could spin the failure of Rachel Notley's government on Trans Mountain as somehow Jason Kenney's doing years earlier i mean time and time again whether it's the, the mainstream media or partisan bureaucrats they keep saying that stephen harper and his government made absolutely no progress on pipelines when that's categorically untrue um and and it's the stark contrast between the tone of of discussions back in the harper era is so so different than right now where right now it's all about reconciliation and, and appeasement, whereas before it was about getting a job done. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore, certainly not for Rachel Notley. I mean, Trudeau's a lost cause, but at least you think that the premier of uh, oil country would would be sticking up for us. But no, for her, it's it's uh, it's just, a, it seems like a game, honestly, a political game that she's just just barely hanging on to so that she can try and get elected next next term. You know, and and can anybody really um, not understand why we can't get a pipeline done when the energy ministry bureaucrats are worried about helping Rachel Notley win the next election instead of saving 8,000 jobs directly tied to TMX? I mean, that's the story of this government, though. Nothing is their fault and um, their priorities are just so skewed. They were it, they were focused on saving their own political shirts instead of, you know, keeping clothes on the back 
of the children yeah. of 8,000 oil patch workers. Absolutely. There's that. It's it's either a past government's fault or another government entirely. Um, it You're right. It is never Rachel Notley's fault. There's that. Uh, there's the there's the blame name and blame game. And then there's the fact that our confederation is in shambles. The fact that we can't build such a simple project. I, I mean, I don't want to say it's simple. There's, there's so much money being invested in this and so many workers uh, jobs are on the line. But really, this should be simple. Right. Like it should be laying a pipe to tie water. That's what it needs to be. And it and, and there's just so many variables thrown into this needless variables uh, by our confederation from Quebec to B.C. that are making this difficult uh, purpose purposely for either uh, ideological ideologically driven reasons uh, or because they just really don't like Alberta for some reason. And at the end of the day, it's it's the workers and the children of those workers that that are uh, catching the flack for that. You know, and you're so right when you say it, it really this pipeline is a literal no brainer. It's the twinning of an existing pipeline that has been operation since that has been in operation since the end of the Korean War and, and it'll be twinned in the existing easement. You know, I've been up on Burnaby Mountain. You don't know that there's a tank farm there. The trees have grown up around it because the thing has been there that long. And the people who live on Burnaby Mountain literally don't care that there's a tank farm there. It's all these like foreign interlopers from other places in British Columbia yeah. and, and foreign funded radicals who seem to be fighting um, for what the people who live in the community don't actually care about. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about today is um, because you're rural, you're from a farm, I'm from a farm. Um, and so firearms are a way of life for, um, at least for me, um, I bet they are for you. Um, you know, it's from gopher shooting in the spring, which is pretty fun, to to predator control, to mm -hmm. hunting. Um, it's just a way of life. And um, on Monday night in the House of Commons, the Liberals' latest gun control law, Bill C-71, passed the House of Commons. And now it's headed off to the Senate. Um, and... What I think a lot of people don't realize is it's not just about um, new rules around transporting um, restricted firearms, but this also, again, made uh, a series of Canadian firearms, at least when this passes the Senate, it will make a bunch of those firearms illegal again. So they've moved yeah. directly from um, not even restricted. They're just from regular old, you know, long guns sitting in the gun cabinet to prohibit it. So again, because of an act of parliament, a whole swath of Canadians are criminals on paper when they haven't done anything wrong. Um, and it, it just seems like constantly these uh, gun control legislation seems to be churned out of um, this belt between Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal, and the rest of the country, I guess what the Americans would call flyover country, but the West and the rest of yep. uh, down East, we have to live by these rules um, created to deal with criminals in their progressive cities when we haven't done anything wrong. No, it's just like, it's just like back, I don't remember the bill exactly, but when they made a 22 clip, uh, yeah. a criminal offense to have i think it, if it had more than 10 rounds in it if you're going outside into your field to shoot more than 10 gophers 
you're a criminal, you know, like, and, and they changed the rules in the middle of the game, just like that. Uh, when there was really no reason, I, I can't, I don't know if there's ever been an instance in Canada where a 22 has been used for a mash, a 22 long gun rifle has been used for a, a mass shooting. I don't think it ever has. Um, but no, those, those farmers out in the field, they, they're the criminals and they're the ones that we got a scapegoat. So, you know, on some level, um, you know, as, as someone who firmly believes in firearms rights and who makes it a point to exercise my firearms rights, um, as a Canadian as frequently as I can, because, you know, frankly, it's fun. Um, <laughs> I sort of welcome the blowback the liberals are going to get for this. Um, from uh, their own rural ridings. Um, I was talking to Tony Bernardo from the Canadian Shooting Sports Association, and by their best estimates, they say roughly 60 seats were lost by the Liberals over the, um, the long gun registry, and more specifically by Stephen Harper promising to nuke the long gun registry. Um, oh. That was enough to flip those rural ridings. Um, so I... As much as I hate, um, you know, being tread upon by the liberals, um, this could be the between this and their musings about handgun confiscation. Um, they're in for a world of hurt, I think. Yeah, I mean, those seats that they lost, they're the seats that are in Saskatchewan that they could have won. They're the seats in Manitoba and rural northern Ontario that really it's the, it's a lifestyle, like you said earlier. Um, from predator mitigation to pest mitigation. Uh, it's not like shooting gophers and, and controlling pests like that. It's not even just a fun fun activity on the, on the weekend. It's they, they destroy fields of alfalfa uh, in, in magnitudes of bales. You know, like you shoot a certain amount of gophers and you have a certain amount more revenue on your farm because those gophers aren't a problem. I mean, I guess the alternative is spreading strychnine around uh, the field so that it gets biomagnified into the ecosystem, and and then there's uh, then there's hawks and and birds of prey that can't have uh, hatchlings anymore. So I guess I guess it's up to the liberals if they want to take the environmental stance on this one, or if they want to um, if they want to attack firearms owners. But it's one of the other guys. You know, isn't that always the way? There's always those unintended consequences that urban liberals just don't understand. <laughs> always, like every single time. Um, you know, Ken, I wanted to give you a chance to um, let us know what sort of um, stories that you're going to be working on in the future and maybe uh, just how people can get a hold of you if they have uh, story ideas or um, concerns and comments. Where can they find you? Sure. So you can, uh, if, if anyone has a story idea, they can always tweet me uh, at economic. I'm sure it can show up somewhere on the screen here. And then, uh, and then also my email, which is kian at rnnmail.ca. Uh, what I'm going to be working on here in the future is uh, main, and I don't want to give away too much, but there's a lot of work that we're going to be putting into uh, really taking down the the NDP backbencher MLAs uh, one by one at, at really showing to the public how much they've been a wasting uh, taxpayers money and and B how they've been misrepresenting Alberta's Albertans because we know that they are uh, they're an accidental government and most of these NDP MLAs who you can see are jumping ship already from uh, that guy in northern uh, Calgary Hawkwood MLA what's his name Do you know? Mike Connolly yeah, he's, jumped, he's, he's out. He's, he's the latest sewer rat to jump off the SS Notley. Yeah. 
Um, and they're, they're all jumping ship and, you know, because they really don't care about this job. They've, they just happened into it in their twenties and their thirty thirties. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. So there's, there's lots of ammo and we're going to be, uh, slowly taking that apart as we come up to the next election. Cause it's pretty soon here. I think it's in May. six months or so. Yeah. Yeah. May, May 2019. Can't wait. I cannot wait. I am going to be, um, well, just let's just say I'm taking the next day off work. Like, don't expect any work from me the next day. Uh, Ken, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show. And I look forward to seeing what sort of exciting things you're working on next. Awesome. I'll keep you posted. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ken. I'm very excited to be working with Kian. He and I are committed to holding the government accountable. And we don't just mean Rachel Notley's NDP government or Nenshi at Calgary City Hall or John Iveson in Edmonton or even Justin Trudeau in Ottawa. We also mean that when Jason Kenney eventually defeats Rachel Notley in the next election, that we will be there to hold Kenney accountable to the people who elected him also. We are going to remind Kenny that he promised to repeal a carbon tax as his first act as premier. And when the United Conservative Party inevitably drifts left, it will be our job to gently drag them back right. It might not make us very popular with conservative politicians, but being a thorn in the side of politicians has never really bothered us much. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. I hope you know Kean a little bit better now. I know I do. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next weekend. Remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. <laughs>